Okay, turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 2. We're going to continue to dive deeply into this story about our Lord Jesus Christ, His earthly ministry, His preaching, His teaching, and ultimately, uh, ultimately His actions on the cross. So we're going to try to see and continue to see what He's done for us both physically and who He was physically and how those things inform what He's done for us spiritually and who He is spiritually. So Mark chapter 2, uh, we're going to... We're going to continue to look at the story of the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, here today. Uh, we're going to begin looking at verse 23, and we're going to read down through verse uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Um, I want to share with you a book this morning I meant to bring with me, but this is a book, and I, I'm not getting any money for this, but uh, I try to give good literature out uh, to, to people all the time. People ask me as a pastor, what, what do I need to be reading, and what are some things that you recommend? Um, in light of the study that we're doing in the book of Mark, this is a book by Tim Keller, who's the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, he is probably, maybe, maybe possibly, I don't know, it would be debatable, I have a bunch of them that I like, maybe my favorite uh, contemporary preacher of the gospel, uh, proclaimer of truth. And, and his teaching and preaching and his writing has greatly informed both my understanding of the Bible in general and especially my understanding of Mark and the other gospel accounts. So this is a book entitled King's Cross. Uh, it's the story of the world in the life of Jesus. And it's not a commentary. It's not like a like a expositional commentary. But it's a book about the Gospel of Mark and how Jesus is represented and presented to us in the book that we're studying. And so you're going to see a great deal of, of what I have taught you and a, and a great deal of what I think about the Gospel of Mark and its structure and its purpose in this book. And so um, I, I, it just hit me that I had not told you about this. I would recommend this to you wholeheartedly. Uh, anything that Tim Keller writes and preaches and says and does, um, I think is certainly valuable, and it has been to me in my in my learning and in my study and in my preaching ministry. So you, I'll, I'll have that afterward if you want to look at it. Uh, you can take a look at it, get the information, and uh, I would encourage your uh, thoughts and uh, reading of, of that, that material. So Mark 2, beginning of verse 23. Now before we begin our sermon this morning and getting into the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. In spite of our difficulty and our hardship, in spite of our suffering and our sickness, in spite of our stresses, Lord, thank you that you've gathered us together. And Lord, what a, what a privilege and what an evidence of your grace it is that you've given us an opportunity to sing about your, your work and your power, your blessing, Lord, to, to come before you in prayer as your people, and now to study your, study your word together and to be informed and refreshed and renewed by it. Lord, make us grateful for this opportunity that you've given us and teach us the importance of, of this time. Uh, make us faithful and committed to it. But now, as a part of the service, as we turn to your word to study it and to learn from it and not just to be informed, but to be transformed by it, God, we, we seek something that uh, we cannot do. We can't even read it and get it. And, and, Lord, we need you to open our minds. We need you to open our hearts. We need you to give us sight and to grant us hearing. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do in us and for us what we can't do for ourselves, that we might be transformed for the sake of your kingdom and for your gospel. Lord, teach us the truth about the gospel and its nature and its promises this morning. From this text, in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Okay, Mark 2. Let's begin reading in verse 23. Let me get my bearings here. And we're going to read down through the beginning of chapter 3, verse 6. Now, this is two separate stories that you may have thought were going to be preached uh, differently, and they could be. But because I'm trying to give us uh, less, maybe about, uh, you know, these are stories about the Sabbath. And and my goal in in all of these stories, as you've seen them, is to give you less about, say, in this case, the details of what the Sabbath is and how we can keep it. As much as I am interested in helping us to see what it teaches us about the person and work of Jesus. Okay? So I have an agenda. And and in doing that, I think that's that's actually the goal of what Mark is doing in putting these here. And I think that's why these two are put together. And so we're going to look at both of these stories together because they're both about Sabbath problems. Uh, with, with the religious leaders of the day, and we're going to examine them together to try to see what we can learn about the person and work of Jesus from this text. So Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 23, says, Now it happened that he went out through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he... When he was in need and hungry, he and those that were with him, he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had, wither, who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. The word of the Lord so far. Uh, and, and so this, this is an incredible story. And this is a story where Jesus ratchets up the pressure and the opposition to the religious leaders and their religion of the day. And, and he ratchets up the controversy between himself and them to a whole other level. Uh, in, in fact, Tim Keller uh, goes so far as to say that in this text, you know, previous to this, he was giving them instructions about, new and old and we saw last week about the wineskins and about the new and the old cloth and he is trying to help them understand remember we saw that the the gospel that he brings and the religion if you will that he brings stands diametrically opposed to the religion that they espouse and and that the gospel of Jesus is unique and exclusive It is not to be mixed with. It is not compatible with. A little bit of it doesn't fix anything in any other religious systems or paradigms of their day or of ours. And so he's been helping them to see that this God, Jesus, and his message and his gospel and his salvation is fundamentally different, okay, than anything that they understand, right? He calls the tax collectors. He touches the lepers, right? And he does things that they would never do, including, you know, healing someone on the Sabbath. You know, far be it, far be it from somebody to do something that terrible. Healing somebody on the Sabbath, plucking a grain of head on the Sabbath, as we're going to see today. And so he's he's been he's been showing them 
that it's fundamentally different. But he ratchets it up to a whole other level. Tim Keller, the author of that book, who's helped me tremendously, has a great quote. He says that in this passage, what we see is that Jesus is telling them that he is here not to reform their religion. He is here to end their religion and to replace it with himself. That's a great quote. Jesus is not here to reform religion. He's here to end it altogether and to replace it with himself. And it comes to us in the form of this story about this controversy over the Sabbath. And Jesus is going to bring this issue and this teaching to a whole other level. He's been a blasphemer, right? They called him a blasphemer so far. How is it that this man can claim to forgive sins for only God can do that? He blasphemes God and claims to be God when he isn't. So they, they, they've called him a blasphemer so far, but now this new claim to be ending religion altogether and to be replacing it with himself, to be, doing, to be offering something fundamentally and totally different, they don't even have a word for it. Uh, ultimately, what we're going to see, if you go to chapter 3, verse 6, look at what it says. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him. Here it is, how they might kill him. Right? So, so no longer is he just a blasphemer and a bad guy. Now he's worthy of death. And they've got to get rid of him. And so th- this story brings this controversy to a head and it culminates right here in a new and an incredible way. And he is telling them again, he is not here to reform their religion. He is here to end their religion and to replace it with himself. Now what we've seen, you remember I brought to your mind last week, the language that we've seen already in the gospel of Mark, that he came preaching the good news of the gospel. And that the gospel is fundamentally news as opposed to religion, which is fundamentally good advice. Okay, and you've got to get that. That's, that's pretty simple and basic, but it's really important to understand that the gospel is fundamentally good news where religion, especially as it's espoused by the Pharisees of the day and the religious people of the day, is good advice. Religion is advice about what you should do, and the gospel is news about something that has been done to you. Do you see the difference? Okay, it's, it's super, super important so that it's not just advice uh, and regulations about how to live so that you might be acceptable. It's newsworthy and it's good because it's that someone has made you acceptable. So it's not good advice. It's good news. That's good news. We're going to structure this passage in three ways. We try to unpack a little bit what was going on here and try to understand its implications for us about who Jesus is and what this gospel is that he offers to us. First, we're going to consider the problem with religion, at least as they saw it, and I would argue that continues to be the problem today. Second, the purpose of the law. And thirdly, the promise of the gospel. Okay, so first, the problem with religion. What we see in this text is that there was a deep religion that these these people who opposed Jesus espoused, and they were passionate and proud, remember we talked about that last week, about their religion and about what they believed, and they weren't going to be dictated to by anybody else. And that becomes evident, not only what we saw last week, but in their clear misunderstandings about the text. The first thing that we see is that these people in their religion were totally ignorant of the source of their religion, the scriptures. Let's go to the text. What does he say? Well, it happened that he and his disciples were walking through the grain fields, and it was on a Sabbath day. And they began to pluck heads of grain. And then Jesus again in another Sabbath day finds himself 
where there is a man with a withered hand who is sick and in desperate need of restoration and healing. And so he heals the guy. So the, the problem is that we have these religious people, Jesus and his disciples and his followers, these Christian people who are supposed to be religious, who are supposed to be following the rules, and oh no, they're breaking the rules. The, the problem is, first, that they were totally ignorant of what the Bible said about the rules that have been given. The Sabbath, there were certain rules associated with the Sabbath. It's a pattern, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, uh, a little bit more later on. But it, it, it's a pattern that began in the very beginning of creation. And it's a law that was given to us in the law of Moses for resting. The, the Sabbath is about rest. Right? It's about regeneration. It's about restoration. God created in six days all that there was, and then he rested. Now, God's pattern of doing that, right? Then it's instituted in the law of Moses where it's given to the people of God. Well, they, these religious people, they had taken that in their misunderstanding of it, and they have added things to it so that they saddled sort of this, this law that had been given and this pattern of rest that had been given with all of these laws and rules and regulations. In fact, I believe that there were 39 regulations that governed the day on what you could and you could not do on the Sabbath, right? So that they had saddled it with all of these things that people could, this checklist of do's and don'ts, and guess what? You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, and you weren't supposed to farm on the Sabbath because it was a form of working. And we see Jesus doing Guess what? Well, he's working really hard because he's healing people on the Sabbath and he's eating things and farming and doing things on the Sabbath. But, but look at what they say. Look, look at what happens in verse 25. The Pharisees, look, well, 24, the Pharisees look and they say, why does he do what is not lawful? See, why is he doing something that stands directly opposed to these 39 regulations that govern this day that we're commanded to keep? All right? But what did he say to them? He tells them, you don't know your Bibles. And he brings them to the Old Testament to school them in the nature of the law, in the purpose of the law. And that's going to be, that's going to be the second point, fundamentally what they misunderstand. But first, they misunderstand the scriptures. Look, he says, have you never read? This is staggering. Jesus does this to the Pharisees time and again in his ministry. He goes to him and says, have you not read? Or have you not heard? Let me tell you why this was such a big deal. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the Bible better than anybody of the day. Do you, do you know that the scribes, the people that copied the Word of God, chiseled it into rocks or however they did it way back in the day? It was unbelievable. They would copy it and they counted the number of letters. The number of consonants, the number of Masoretic vowels, the Masoretes and scribes, they counted them. And if you look like in my Hebrew Bible that I have, you'll be reading down through the text, and then somewhere around the middle of the book, there's this giant capital letter. You know why? Because that letter was capitalized because it was the very center of the, of the number of letters. So that if there were a thousand letters in the book, that was number 500. And here's what happened. So that if they had written, hand copied or chiseled or whatever they did, all of these, right, all copying the scripture, all this word of God, and they got to that letter and then they started counting. And it was 499. And they had missed a consonant somewhere. You know what they did? They crumbled it up and they put it in the garbage can. And they started over. 
And so the detail that they went into to copy and to preserve the Word of God was remarkable and incredible. But what it helps us to see is that these people knew the Word of God better than any of us probably ever can or ever will. And so when Jesus looks at them, he says, have you not read? I mean, it's like a slap in the face to these people. I mean, of course they've read. Of course they've heard. They're the ones that were responsible for reading and hearing and teaching it. So of course they read. Of course they thought that they got it. And he's trying to help them see that God. So he says, have you not read what David did when he was in need and hungry? So he says, listen, there's evidence in the scripture of someone standing what you would think was in violation of the regulation or of the law or of the details of this law. There's evidence in scripture where a holy man, one of one of God's people, breaks what you would consider to be those regulations. And it's not a problem because it's in keeping with the nature of the law. And he says, have you never read that when David was hungry and in need that he and those who were with him, they went into the house of God, into the temple, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and they ate the showbread. This was the bread that was set aside for their sacrifice and for their, their ceremonial services. And it is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And they gave some to those. Not only did David partake of it, he gave it to those who were with him. They went into the, they went into the holy place and got the holy bread, you know, as it were. And then he starts handing it out to all of the people who are with him so that they can be sustained and they can be fed and they can find rest. Do, do you see that? They were totally ignorant of the scriptures, but listen, the problem with their religion was that they were totally ignorant of the nature of the law. What the law is and was for its purpose, right? It was created for rest. The Sabbath is a pattern of rest. God creates in six days and on the seventh, he rests. And he tells us that the Sabbath was not made for man. I mean, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, right? So that the difference then between the gospel and religion is that in the gospel, the law is a blessing. And it is for the benefit of the people. In religion, the law is a burden, do you, see the, do you see that? For these people, for these religious Pharisees, they were so consumed with keeping the details of the law that it became a burden for them, that they laid out all of the things that they should or that they shouldn't do because they did not understand that the law is not given to be a burden. The law is supposed to be a blessing. You think, how is it a blessing that somebody is telling me what I can and what I can't do and what I should and what I shouldn't do? Listen, how blessed are we that God gave us the law to expose our sin and to point us to Christ? How cruel would it have been for Jesus not to, for God never to have given us that law and to left us in our, to have left us in our wickedness to die and to burn in hell and torment paying for that wickedness without ever exposing it in us and showing it to us, thus helping us to see our need for redemption. And in this case, this specific law was a law about regeneration and restoration. It was a law about resting. And these people wouldn't even do things that would aid in their rest lest they break the law because they didn't understand that it was not to be a burden for them to try to keep. It was to be a blessing for their benefit. Which is why Jesus' disciples don't have any problem with going through the grain field and as they're hungry, plucking heads of grain for their benefit. 
And which is what Jesus points out. Look at what he says. If you go down to verse 4 of chapter 3, look, he says, Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What's he asking them? What's the law for? What's the law for? You guys, not only are you totally ignorant of your Bibles and you're totally ignorant of who I am, you're totally ignorant of the purpose of the law, why it is here and and, and what it is to be doing for you. So the problem with religion is fundamentally that it creates self-righteousness because it does not understand the purpose of the law. That it is to be a blessing, not a burden. And so look, he says, is it is it to do good? Is it to do evil? Is it to save life or to kill? But they kept silent, it says. Because he was forcing them to realize they, they, they knew it. They just had abused it. They didn't, they didn't understand it. And when he had looked around at them with anger, he's furious. And he's grieved at the hardness of their hearts, that their hearts were just as shriveled as the man's hand. He says then to the man, look, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. There's that language there. As whole as the other one. Right? Didn't on the Sabbath by, by doing this that they saw to be a violation of the law, wasn't Jesus bringing about rest? Wasn't he bringing about peace and rest in the people? Right? So that in religion, the moral law is a burden, and in the other, it's a blessing. We're either enslaved to it, or it is a gift we are privileged to experience and to have. And these are fundamentally two different paradigms for how people come into a relationship with God. These are two paradigms, then, for religion. If you want to include the gospel in religion, Christianity, then, is a religion. It's totally different from all of the other world religions because all world religions, then, are based on this quest to relate to God, but it is done by doing good. See, what were the, why were the Pharisees so interested in keeping 39 regulations on the Sabbath? Listen, because they were convinced in their heart that if they kept them, that God would be pleased with them. That's crazy. God's not pleased with anybody because of them. He's not pleased with anybody because of what they do. And so all the religions in the world, apart from the gospel of Jesus that he's showing them here, even the religions of these Pharisees and these these religious Jews of the day, they are built around a paradigm where people relate to God by doing good. If I perform, then I can be accepted. If If I check off the list and I do and I don't do as I'm supposed to do and not do, then somehow I can be acceptable to God. It will create value for me. It will create... Uh, It will make me a special person in the eyes of God. Let me ask you this. Do you see how in that paradigm you will labor and work until your fingers are bloody to be better? Let me ask you this. Do you think it leaves room for rest? There's no way. That in the paradigm of all the world religions, in the paradigm of the, 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 the Judaism of the day, the reason they didn't understand the nature of the law of the Sabbath and the purpose of the law in general is because they operated under a religious paradigm that impaired them and, and enslaved them to the law so that they had to work every moment of every day to be acceptable and special and valuable to God. That's fascinating. 
It's fascinating because it, it crippled. They're unable to rest. Right? If they rest, they might slip. They might do something they're not supposed to do, and then God's not going to be pleased with them. Right? So, so it's this constant battle then. So what then is the purpose? In religion, the purpose of the law is that by obeying it, we assure ourselves and everybody else that we are okay with God. That we're really a good person, and so God owes us blessing and privilege. In that system, we're very interested in the details. Have you ever been around people? And as a pastor, people always ask me so much of the time, is this a sin? They won't know if they can do it. And they want, they, want me to, they want me to draw the line of sin for them so that we can get right over as close to that line as we can and walk down it and not sin. We're very consumed with the details. So much so that when Jesus just paints with broad brushstrokes about a life of love and he says, love your neighbor as yourself, boom, it blows our mind. Why? I don't, I don't need general broad strokes about a life of love. I need you to tell me how to love my neighbor and who my neighbor is and what county con- constitutes my neighbor. Is Uganda my neighbor? Do I love them the way that I love myself? How do you keep this commandment? Because if I don't keep this commandment, then I'm not going to be acceptable before God. And so you work and you work and you work and you're worried and you labor and you're stressed all the time and you never have time to rest in the love of God and in the gospel that he's given. There's no time for it because you're constantly consumed with the details Because it's all about being a good person so that you can be acceptable before God. But the gospel, listen, in the paradigm of the gospel that Jesus brought, the purpose of the law then is to show the life of love that we want to live. And we are reminded of the grace that he has shown to us in not being able to measure up. Okay? So we see the law and we see the commandments and we see the standard and we think to ourselves, holy moly, I can never keep that. I can never measure up. And it reminds us how gracious he's been to us so that we are humbled by the law, not built up in self-righteousness. What happens in the other paradigm? When you work and you work and you work and you check off all the boxes and you t- of do's and don'ts, what happens? Well, you think God is pleased with you and you're pretty pleased with you. And you think how much better you are than everybody else. In the paradigm of the gospel that Jesus brought, we see the standard of the law and we realize that we can never measure up. And it's humiliating. It reminds us of grace, but it does the very opposite of building pride and self-righteousness. It pushes us to our feet in humility where we cry out to the Lord and we're thankful for the grace. And then in that sort of system, we are encouraged to do our best because we know and we understand, listen very carefully, that God loves us anyway. That God loves us anyway. Let me give you an example of this. Um, this, is, this is an example. I, I did not come across this myself. I heard it in a sermon many years ago. I've used it many, many times. You may have heard me use it, but this is the best example of this that I can give you. In Vogue magazine, Madonna. You're all interested in what Madonna has to say, right? <laughs> you know, wake up. You can pay attention for this part. Madonna, right? She was asked about her success in the music industry. Her longevity, and guys, she's been doing it for a long time, one of the most successful music artists that that the world has ever seen. She's an international icon in the music industry. And she was asked about her success and her drive, even in older age, to continue to be fresh and to be new and to be relevant. Listen to what she said. Let me find the quote here. Here's her response. Every time I accomplish something, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while... 
I feel mediocre and uninteresting again. I find that I have to get myself past this feeling again and again and again so that my drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. And then here it is. I have to prove I'm somebody. Listen, do you know, like Madonna, why so many people are so religious? Because they do not understand the purpose of the gospel or the promise of the gospel that Jesus is already made you special. See, Madonna doesn't get that. So that I don't have to work every single moment of every single day to create value for myself, to be acceptable before God. I don't have to follow the 39 regulations of the details of the Pharisaic law about the Sabbath day that they, that they distorted. Why? Because as Tim Keller says, I'm awash in the love of Christ, and he's already made me somebody. Listen, in that sort of paradigm, you know what's possible? Rest. Rest. Not just physical rest, which is certainly important, but spiritual rest. Where you're not beating yourself up every moment of every day, thinking about how terrible you are, and how impotent you are, and how insufficient you are, and how unable and unworthy you are. You are reminded again and again about grace and the love of Christ for you in the gospel, and that he has already made you somebody. That's what the Pharisees didn't get. So that leads us to the third point then. What is the question? What is uh, this purpose of the law leads us to understand the promise of the gospel. This comes to us, I love it, in verse 27. Look at, look at what he says. And he said to them in chapter 2, verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So that in, in the gospel, unlike in their religion... The difference is that the the law is a blessing, not a burden. And and look look at what he says. Therefore, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even or also of the Sabbath. Now, this is very, very, very important. Notice what he does not say. He does not say that he's Lord over the Sabbath. He says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, and it's different. Because what he could have been saying to them is, I'm Lord over the Sabbath and all of the rules that govern it, like I'm Lord over everything, right? And I have the divine authority and the right to hold you accountable for keeping those rules and for dictating to you and telling you what you can and what you cannot do. That is not what he says to them. Though he has the right, and that's a true statement, that's not what he says. What he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he said, I am the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. Why? Why? Where do we find that spiritual rest? In Jesus. Listen, the question then is what is rest? The best place to look is God. If he created in six days, and then it says on the seventh he rested from his labors, the question is this, was God tired? Was God tired? No. So what was the rest? The rest was the ability to put your work down because it's completed. To put your work down, satisfied with that it's done. That's the rest that he's speaking of. That's the rest that God had. He looked at his creation and he said, it's done. And it's perfect and it's beautiful and it is complete. And I'm going to rest from that, satisfied in it. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. On the cross... 
What did Jesus say? It is completed. It is what's finished? Your redemption. Making you valuable. Making you acceptable. Do you see then that he is the rest? And that when we understand that he is the rest, that he is the source of the Sabbath, that he is bringing us this great blessing, then we can step back from our work of doing good and being good because it's already completed. Now, we didn't complete it, but we can be satisfied in what Jesus has completed for us. He said it is finished. And guys, let me encourage you today. If you live a life and operate in a system where you think you've got to... I had a seminary professor. Uh, he was one of my favorites. He's hilarious. Uh, but he called this... There's, there's these solas in Christianity, like sola scriptura, which is Latin for the, the, the scripture alone, right? There's the five solas, the sola gratia, by grace alone, okay? Listen, he used to call this the their religion. He's called these world religions the sola bootstrappa. <laughs> you know why? Because this, this is the gospel of you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps alone. Well, let me tell you something. If you operate in a paradigm where day in and day out, you have got to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps to be a better person. You do not understand the gospel. And there is no way that you can rest from that. Because you're never going to be good enough and you're always going to be working to be better. Let me encourage you today to take, take hope in understanding the gospel. Not good advice, but good news. That in Jesus, there is rest. He says, come to me, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have provided rest for us and for our weary souls in the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would not be little Pharisees or that we would not be full of self-righteousness. God, that we would not be working our fingers to the bone every single day to be acceptable and valuable, to prove that we're somebody before you. Lord, help us to see that if we believe in Jesus and trust in the sacrifice that he made on our behalf at the cross, that you've already made us somebody, and that we are as valuable to you as we will ever be. And it's certainly not because of us, but it's because of your son, Jesus. Lord, sear deep into our hearts the truth this morning that he is the Sabbath. He is the source of our rest. And that until we trust him for it, there will be no rest. May we not operate in a paradigm of faith through works, salvation through works, where we're trying to save ourselves. But may we operate in a, in a system of understanding the gospel that tells us we cannot save ourselves. And so someone's done it for us. Lord, help us to feel the weight of that good news this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.